welcome back. Friends, I'm going to do it. <laughs> Friends, business owners, employees parging a smoke chamber, lend me your ears. I <laughs> uh, hope everybody's hanging in there. Uh, fall is coming. The temperature doesn't really feel like it, but it's definitely coming. Some of us have that kind of pit in our stomach that we know it's about to get crazy. Some of us already are crazy. Well, work is crazy. We're always a little crazy to do this job, but uh, fall is coming. So hopefully you guys got some good information last week. Uh, We talked about building a culture of leadership so that you get a company where you can't tell if you were to look from the outside in or walk through, you can't tell who the actual leaders are because hopefully the leaders, those at the very top are out there getting their hands dirty. They're helping. They're serving. Those at the bottom, those that just started still have that feeling of empowerment, that they have a voice, that they can help, that they have something to do, and they're not just standing around watching everybody else work, feeling lost. That's how you build that culture. You get it started from the ground up and you build it. So you're like, all right, I'm on board, John. Now, what do I do? I have all these employees and now I want to turn them into leaders. And this doesn't matter whether you're uh, a one truck operation, you got one employee, or you're a 50 truck operation with hundreds of employees. It doesn't matter. Leadership is the core of companies. It's the core of growth. It's the core of success. So we're going to go all the way back again. I know I keep going all the way back, but I learned a lot of my hardest lessons when I was a smaller company. Uh, I'm learning a lot of them now, but I want to make sure that I'm talking to to my people. <laughs> What, what I mean by that, uh, there's this joke going around now, thanks to Mark Stoner, that I am King Noob. I am the king of the new business owners. Uh, I appreciate the title, uh, but all I've really done is is followed in the footsteps of others that have done it first. I, I latched onto Mark Stoner early, even way before I ever met the guy, watching his uh, TV shows, reading his books, listening to podcasts, just absorbing everything I could because I didn't know that that could be done. You know, when I worked at another chimney company, it was just one truck in a garage and that was it. I didn't know you could have 20 trucks or hundreds of employees. I was like, this is insane. I thought this, we all did. I didn't know about conventions. I didn't know about uh, trainings or certification. I didn't know any of that. I just knew that, you know, the job and that was it. So, even before uh, I got to meet Mark, I was absorbing everything. I saw uh, how he ran his business. I read his books about the issues he had when he was starting out. Um, once I got to know Mark and once I got further into the industry, I started meeting others that were in the same position as me or further than me or or whatever. It didn't matter. Just getting out and talking to people and sharing those stories of, man, you go through that too? And you went, how did you fix that? And then I got to know more and more. And then like the Chuck Halls, Chuck Roydhouses, Jasper Drangler, Steve Scally, guys that have been in for way longer than me and done it a lot better than me, I wanted that sooner. Stoner said it the other day, we were talking that uh, he was a one-truck operation for, I think it was 17, 20 years, something like that, long time. And he didn't end up making his change until he had to, until he got hurt, until the worst thing possible happened. He falls off a roof and thank God he lived. I guess that would be the worst thing, but he's out of work. He's, he's injured, right? And then he's like, I my business stopped. I had no money. I couldn't go out and work. So I didn't have a company. I think he said it once that if you, uh, if, if you can't leave the job without the work getting done, you have a hobby. You don't have a business. It's just a, it's just something fun to do during the week that makes you money. I didn't want that. I wanted a company. I wanted to be able to sit here and report, uh, record a podcast or go out and, 
take a vacation or go visit another company or just take a damn day off because I wanted to and work still gets done and money still comes in and everybody wins. That's what I wanted. So I started doing that year two. I didn't get to the point that I could till year four or five, but still I've reached that point a lot faster, not because of how great I am. I am a terrible manager leader. That's that's the whole point of all these podcasts is telling you all the mistakes that I made. What I am good at is I am good at latching on to others' ideas. How did you do that? How did you do this? Asking for help, not being this proud. I got it all together. I know what I'm doing. I don't need any help. That's not going to get me anywhere. I was that person for a while, and I just spun my wheels. Reaching out, asking for help. How did you overcome this? What did you do when you had that? What do, you know, there's, there's power in those questions. So many people think that you're going to be weak or or. What I don't know what they're going to think because it's dumb. Ask for help. It doesn't matter if it's business or life or whatever. If you're having trouble with something, you can't figure it out. Ask for help. I was talking to someone the other day and they're like, well, I got myself into this position. So I got to be the one to get myself out. No, you don't. <laughs> if you're the one that got yourself into this position, you were doing what you thought was right to get yourself there and look where it got you. So to get out of it, you need help. You can't get out of a mess you put yourself into. So that's all I've been really good at for years is is just asking other people for help, watching what they did, learning from their mistakes, seeing it coming, hopefully, so I could uh, head it off at the pass and not have to deal with that. Even after Stoner realized he needed a bigger company and grew it into a massive company, he had to shut the whole thing down, fire everybody, and start over. Like, oh my God. I was talking to Chad Murray, he said the same thing, had to shut it all down, fire everybody, start over. Like, I've never had to get to that point, thank God. Of course, that still could happen. I don't see it happening, though. But those are the kind of things that I want to avoid. I want to get this company growing while also kind of trying to see the future, seeing what could happen, seeing the different options so that I can uh, not make the same mistakes other people did. So that's the whole reason for this podcast is I've had a ton of experiences in these six short years that I've had a company. And when I went to the the business symposium in Nashville at Mark Stoner's place in January, I was scared to death. I mean, for those that watched the the pod or the uh, symposium and saw my classes I taught, I got a lot of kind words afterwards. But I want you to know that before that, I my time was coming up. I was about half an hour from uh, my turn to speak, and I had a panic attack. Straight up, I don't get panic attacks very often, if ever. I started getting shaky. I started sweating. I couldn't sit still. I had to get up and walk around. I went to the back of the room and I called Tommy Nelms over. He was sitting next to me. I was like, Tommy, come here. He goes, What's up? I'm like, dude, I'm freaking out. I need you to help me. He's like, freaking out over what? And I'm like, I don't think I can do this. He's like, dude, you're going to kill it. And I'm like, no, I'm not. The reason for that was I'm really good at uh, teaching somebody else's stuff. You know, I'm an instructor at the CSIA. I teach for an entire week. I'm reading Russ Dimmitt's words. I'm reading something somebody else put together. I can translate it. I can transfer it. No problem. Make it my own. I've taught other classes that other people have taught. Chimney science and whatever. There were always somebody else's words that I just put my own spin on. At that class, I had to build my own PowerPoints and talk about my own story and put it out for the world to see. I was a wreck. I was like, this is going to be terrible. People are going to laugh. They're going to think that this is the worst thing they've ever heard. They're going to, you know, this is dumb. Why are we listening to you? And, you know, I had this whole internal crisis because Mark Stoner is my, my hero, my idol. I've been watching him for years, trying to become him, do what he did, and, pick his brain, all this stuff. And now I'm in his house teaching a class. Where do I get off? I was like, what is this? And uh, 
well, there's a lot of information. I didn't plan to go into this, but whatever. It's good. I taught my classes. Um, my wife was watching it. She could tell that I was I was losing my mind. Nobody else really could, but of course she knew it. She's like, you were, you were kind of nervous, weren't you? I was like, I was a lot more than kind of nervous. Finished the classes, and then the emails started coming in, the phone calls, the text messages, the Facebook messages, and I'm going, here we go. And we're like, you know, where do you get off, and wh- how can you say that? And I didn't get any of that. What I did get was a lot of attaboys and good jobs, but the main thread that I kept hearing over and over again was, we are so thankful that we got to hear from someone in your position, in so many words. What they were saying was, a couple of them came right out and said it, you know, listening to the Mark Stoners and the Chuck Halls and the Troy, uh, Chuck Roydhouses is great, but they're so far ahead. They're so far out there that it's good to hear from somebody in our position. It's good to hear from someone going through the same things we're going through right now. You know, listening to Mark Stoner talk about 15 years ago and listening to Chuck Hall talk about 20 years ago, and now they're up here talking about million-dollar businesses, we're two trucks. We're just getting started. Like, they're so far out of our league that you kind of brought us back to reality, and that kind of stuck with me. That really is the reason that this podcast is happening, is I want to talk to, to those of you that are still starting. Maybe you're still a single truck. Maybe you're thinking about going into business. Maybe you've started growing and you've had to reel it back in. Uh, maybe a lot of things, but chances are you're not a multi, multi, multi million dollar company and you're trying to find your way there like I am. That's all I'm trying to do is just share a little bit of the uh, the ups and downs that I've had so far. So thank you for those that are listening. Like I said, Mike, I've got employees that are listening right now, uh, family that's listening, uh, a lot of you have reached out from the the chimney industry to to say a good word and to tell me how thankful you are, and I appreciate that. Uh, just know I don't have it all together. I really don't. I'm still making this up as I go. I'm still having issues uh, that are popping up that will be in future podcasts, I promise you. Um, but yeah, we're all trying to figure out this game together. So that being said, I've talked for quite a bit. Uh, let's get back into it, right? We left off talking about building a culture, a culture that breeds leadership that breeds that rewards motivation uh and everybody starts to grow together now that you want to make people either a lead technician or a manager of something you need to train them that's the biggest thing uh, we have this joke at cc chimney service it's not really a joke it's a real thing but we joke about it is that when you get really really good at your job you get to do more work <laughs> congratulations um that's true it's, it's something that should happen. You know, if you get really, really good at your job, you can't just stay there doing it forever. You can. Some people get kind of bored with it. Uh, but as you get better and better at your job, you get to either turn around and train somebody else, or you get to move up, get promoted, or you get to have a different position. You get to move around. It's really hard to get comfortable at Caesar Chimney. One of my, <laughs> one of my employees said that uh, a couple weeks ago. You know, it's really hard to get comfortable because I never know what's going to happen next. Yeah. That's what it's like working for John Caesar. Take it or leave it. It's the way I am. But when you make a, let's just start with lead technician, right? Uh, like I said, I'm talking to my people here. Not a lot of smaller business owner or businesses really have managers or anything of that nature. So let's go right back to the ground level. Take it back to the beginning. You have a business. It's just you. When I was you know, taking over or uh, starting a business, I didn't have anybody to lean on. I had nobody to ask questions from. Uh, I had no playbook really to pick from. 
I was making it up as I went. And uh, if you've read the E-Myth, he talks about that. He talks about that most entrepreneurs start out not as some magical unicorn that just poops out ideas, but technicians. Entrepreneurs are nothing but somebody that worked for somebody else, got really, really good at their job, and then said, hey, I can do this, and then started it. If that's you, congratulations. If you're thinking about it, uh, wait a minute, (laughs) because what happens is you can be really, really good at being a chimney sweep or a chimney technician or a mason, whatever. You can be really good at that job. In order to then translate that into running a business that does that work, you're now going to be kind of good at that work because you're going to be distracted and terrible at like 20 other things. Just because you can sweep a chimney doesn't mean you can do QuickBooks. Just because you can rebuild a chimney doesn't mean you know how to hire and fire and review, right? Just because you can do the work doesn't mean you can run a business. And that's something that not a lot of people tell you. It's all rainbows and unicorns until you're into it. And then you're like, I don't know how to do any of this. And neither did I. When I first started out, complete shit show. Everything was upside down. I just had somebody take over my QuickBooks last year for the first time in company history. And those are the exact words she said to me. She goes, this is a shit show. I said, I know. I didn't know what I was doing. And she's had to go back and fix so many things. And she's like, this is in the wrong place. This isn't right. This is not a cost of goods. This is a, I'm like, okay, I don't even know what that means. Can you please fix it? (laughs) Because that's not me. I'm not a bookkeeper. But to be a small business owner, you have to be. You have to know how to do your books. You have to know how to do hiring and firing and managing and and so many other things that nobody ever trains you for. So here I am starting out in the same position I'm about to talk about, putting people in leadership without the right preparation or training. Many of you are going through it right now, so you're going to relate to this. Let's say you just keep wading through the waters. You keep figuring it out, you keep making it work, and then you get your first technician and you start training them. You then without any prior training on how to be a a leader of any kind, just kind of thrown to that position, now have to turn around and turn somebody else into a leader. What what kind of leader are they going to look like? They're going to look just like you, not knowing how to lead. That's the same thing happened to me. I turned around. Max was one of my first employees. He was the first one to really latch on, buy in. I start training him to be a, a leader. And lo and behold, he turned out to be a, he wasn't so good of a leader. Because he looked exactly like me. I'm like, please don't lead like me. Please find your own way. I kept telling him, like, you know, don't be me, be you. Well, he doesn't know how to be him because all he's ever seen is me leading. So he turned into a miniature version of me. (laughs) And I was like, uh oh. And then it kept going from there. Then we started making uh, technicians into lead technicians. So that's where I left off last week talking about getting up to the size that I I was a few months ago, 25, 24 employees, I had six, seven lead technicians. And I'm looking around at them and I'm hearing all these issues that are starting to come up in the company of, I don't like to work with this person, or I don't want to be in the van with this person, or I don't like the way this person talks to me. And just little things start coming up. And like I said before, I see Mark Stoner's starting over, starting to happen. I'm like, oh no, don't get me to this point where the company's going to implode because all of a sudden nobody's getting along. I have to find out why. I found out why. My seven leads that I had put in these positions of leading had never been shown how to lead other people. A lot of them are young. We talked about that before. I think the average age for all of my lead technicians is 23. Very, very young group of kids. Hungry, hardworking, very smart. They can do the job, 
but then you tell them to do the job while leading somebody else and while taking care of a vehicle and while taking care of tools and parts and while taking care of the customer and writing up the inspection report and making sure that these people can put toxic gases and fire in their living rooms as soon as they leave. You're, I've, I've put a lot of responsibility and pressure on these leads to lead without ever having been taught to. And that is dangerous. So I realized this about six months ago. I was like, what have I done? I've turned around and complained about how I got to start a business without ever knowing how to run a business. And then I figured it out as best I could, turned around and start promoting people left and right into leadership this and manager that and lead this and never shown anybody how to actually do it. Crap. (laughs) What do I do now? So we've had to start over again. It's all about starting over, about catching it before it gets too big so you can fix it. So uh, the two people that I've listened to the most when it comes to leadership. I watch a, a lot of TED Talks, listen to a lot of audiobooks, read a lot of books. The two guys that just get it is John Maxwell and Simon Sinek. Go look him up. A lot of people have heard of John Maxwell. He's got a ton of books out there. That's pretty much all he does is live and breathe leadership. He gets it. Simon Sinek is newer, but God, does he just understand business and people and how to get the most out of them and how to provide the best service and how to be a servant leader and how to grow. And he's just, he works for billion dollar companies that are dealing with the same issues that I am. It's really interesting to watch a video where Simon's talking about dealing with Apple, like the Apple, right? And they're dealing with the same things that I am or Microsoft or Amazon or whoever, whoever he's working with massive billion, billion dollar companies. And they're dealing with the same problems. I am just on a bigger scale. And that's what scares me. If I have to deal with this at 20 employees, how the hell am I going to deal with it at 100 if this problem keeps getting bigger? So I was like, we got to fix it now. So one of the biggest things that I took away from Simon Sinek, uh, one of the videos, he was given a speech about leadership, which he talks about a lot. This one, he said that uh, to be a leader, you only need one thing, and that's followers. That's it. Ta-da, you're a leader. And that's the kind of the way that I promoted people. Okay. You got uh, an assistant technician, boom, you're a lead technician, go do the job that you've been doing, but now from a different seat with more responsibilities and have fun. (laughs) That's it. Um, But what he said is that people get so wrapped up in that they're in charge, right? We talked last week about the guy I worked for that said, well, you know, they need to know who's in charge. And there's a lot of business owners I talk to like, I'm in charge and this is how I do things. And this is my, that's great. You're in charge. Simon Sinek says, I'm going to start saying that. Simon says, Simon says, you're not in charge. You are responsible for taking care of those in your charge. Holy cow, did that blow my mind? I'm like, he's right. That's the difference is not here's a title, here's a desk, here's a van, here's whatever, here's a pay raise. And now, boom, you're in charge of things. You're now responsible for those in your charge. Let's bring it back to our level. Who is in our lead technician's charge. Well, the assistants are, and the tools are, and the homeowner is, and the homeowner's safety. Those are a lot of things to be responsible for. Those are a lot of things in their charge. I tell people all the time that this business, we are responsible for uh, putting fire in people's living rooms and allowing them to run toxic gases by their bedrooms 
right? That's what we do. Think about it. Like boilers and furnaces and water heaters. And uh, I was talking to uh, Tommy Nelms a couple uh, months ago. We were talking about, you know, we're in the fire prevention business. And I said, we're a lot more than that. It used to be we just swept chimneys. Now we're in fire prevention. Take it a step further. We are in home protection. We've got toxic gases running through people's houses. A lot of us are now putting in gas units, gas logs, gas fireplaces. Uh, in the Northeast, we deal with a lot of boilers and furnaces, oil and gas, and they're venting usually through the center of a house right by somebody's bedroom. And the flues are gone and the gases are getting out and we're like, oh, I can rebuild that. No, let's talk about the fact that those it's worse even further down. Those same issues you can see outside are happening right through this wall, Mrs. Smith. What's on the other side of this wall? Oh, your bedroom. Good job. Yeah, this is important stuff. And we're taking it as, oh, I sold a cap today. Nobody gives a shit. You're, in, you're responsible for taking care of the assistant technician that I gave you, this 10,000-pound vehicle full of $20,000 worth of tools that you're driving, And you're responsible for the homes you're about to go into to save them from fire and toxic gas. Let that sink in. This isn't just a a positional thing. Boom, you're a lead. Good for you. But that's what I've been doing a lot forever since Caesar Chimney's history was just putting people in these positions and not preparing them for it. So how do you prepare them for it? John Maxwell. John Maxwell talks about the positions of leadership. Once again, blew my mind because he starts talking about five different levels. You'd have to go read the book and watch it to get the full impact of this. But you start out with just the position. That's level one. Level one is the position of leadership. You are a leader. And that's where most of us stop. We've got the title. We've got the name. We've got the responsibility. And we get off on the fact that people have to listen to us. That means nothing. It goes up from there. There's four more levels after that. You have to work on permission where people listen to you because they want to, not because they have to. That's a big difference. If people just follow because they have to, there's no loyalty. It's just blind robots doing it because I said so, right? If they follow you because they want to, that's a whole different game. They now appreciate what you say. They respect you. They want to learn from you. They want to follow you, not just be led by you. Massive difference there. And he goes all the way up to level five. You can go read those on your own, and I highly recommend it. But what he said at the end of that is most people that sit through that talk or read that book is they all start going, okay, what level leader am I? One, two, three, four, five. And I was doing the same thing. I'm like, okay, I'm probably like a, you know, like a three, like a four, you know, maybe a five, you know, I'm more like a, okay, like a three and a half. And then he goes, no, you're on a different level with everybody. There's no such thing as being a level four all the time. You're just not. So think about that. Like you might be on level five. I might be on level five with Max and Rick. They've been with me the longest. They have my ear. We share ideas. We're on the same level. Level five, boom. But then I hire a new guy and the new guy comes in and I put a shirt on him and I get to see him for the first time. He doesn't know me. He might've seen me on a TV commercial, big deal. He doesn't know me. He's on level one with me. I have to start over with him. He's following me because he has to. I have to earn his trust. I have to I have to speak into this relationship and, and cultivate it, not just, well, okay, you work for me now, go do what I say. That's not a leader. He's just blindly following me. And I actually said this to my technicians. I played the video from John Maxwell for my entire company. And at the end, when John says that, he said, 
you know, you're on different levels with everybody else. I paused it, turned around, and I said, think about that. As we switch technician from technician, uh, they go from van to van every single week. I have technicians that just automatically think that everybody's going to do what they say. They're just going to come in their van and do what they say because they said it. And then you have assistant technicians that last week had a really good lead technician that taught them and went over things with them and was like, okay, try this. And okay, you know, you can try this and I'll watch. And they were training them. And now this week they got a guy that just wants to get the job done, shut up and sit there, you know, you're in my van, whatever. And then they couldn't figure out why they weren't getting any, you know, I don't want to work with this guy. I was getting that a lot. I don't want to work with that guy anymore. He doesn't really work well. He's not a really good uh, technician. And I'm like, uh, that's not what the guy last week said. He was with so-and-so last week. And they said he was amazing. Oh yeah. Well, he's just terrible. No, you're a terrible leader. (laughs) That's what that means. If I have one technician that rotates through seven different leads every seven weeks, and you're the only one saying he's a terrible technician, let's look at how you're leading him. Well, that technic- that lead didn't want to hear that, but that's what it takes to kind of cultivate this. Now I've got, I'm too far into it. I have seven leads and I'm trying to fix the problem that I've made. If you're smaller, you have a head start. You can, you can see this coming a lot sooner. Train your leads to lead before they get too far into it. Something else John Maxwell talks about is how to train for leads, how to train period. And this is going to sound really, really simple, but just the fact that it's itemized out makes it just really good. So here we go. The first step to training anybody is I do it. Ta-da. <laughs> I can do it. That's why we're leaders. That's why we're business owners. That's why we're in the position that we're ours, because we can do it. Whatever it is, running a business, running a van, doing a job, putting in a liner, doesn't matter. I do it. The next step is you do it with me. So you're there and you're watching me do it. Replace it with whatever you want it to be. Running a business, building a chimney, doesn't matter. I do it and you do it and you're there with me watching. Then you flip it. The next step is you do it while I'm there. That's called supervision. You're watching to see if they can do it. That's the step that I have a problem with or did have a problem with when I was training was watching somebody else do work that I knew how to do, I started to become a micromanager because that's the whole reason I'm supervising you or watching you is because I can do it better or else I wouldn't be in this position. My problem was I didn't know how to train them. I didn't know how to let them make their own mistakes. So that step is the one that tripped me up a lot, them doing it with me watching. Then the next step is they do it. You do it. So it starts out, I know how to do something. Then I do it with you watching. Then you do it with me watching. Then you do it. And that's how you replicate. The next step after that is they do it with someone else. And that's how you train. We're at the part now in Caesar Chimney where I have technicians working for me that I've never once worked with. That scares the pants off of me, I tell you. It used to be I had a hand in everything. I was on every job, every estimate, every repair, every follow-up, everything other than the phone call. And I knew every customer by name. And then it started to become, I didn't really know these customers, but I was out there. And then I started training people and I started giving them people to train. Now we're at the point that I have employees that were trained by employees that were trained by employees that I trained. Oh God, how do you control quality control at that point? You have to have a really, really, really good system set up where you know that you have people that can lead and will lead the way you want if you're going to have that kind of system set up. And that's what growth means. Growth means one day. 
you'll have employees working that were never trained by you, that have never seen you work. That scares me. But that's the point that I started having these issues is now I have people that have never seen me lead as an example of either how to do the work or how to be a leader. The only people they have that are their example for how Caesar Chimney operates is some other random person. Are they a good leader? Are they a good trainer? Are they a good teacher? I have no idea. And this is why we have reviews. This is why we have um, the processes. We have checks and balances to make sure that things are getting done the way that we want them to get done. So I do it. I do it with you. You do it with me. Then you do it by yourself. And then you do it with the next person in line and you repeat the trick to that. And this is something that I told, uh, I talked to you about a couple weeks ago, but I also have told all of my managers, all my leads, everybody in the company is you are not going to move up in this company until you make the person behind you as good or better than you. That's servant leadership at its core. You're not just going to get to move up just because you're really, really good at your job. If the guy behind you can't do it, if the guy behind you can't do it, then he can't take your place and you can't move up. I'm not just going to move you up because you're really good at it because you earned your place because you've been here X amount of years and I I earned it. I deserve it. No, being able to do the job means nothing. You had better be able to do the job or you don't have a job. (laughs) It's that simple. If you can't do the job, you don't have a job. But if the person behind you can't do your job, you haven't trained them and now no one is here to take your place so you can't move up and you're stuck doing this job that you're so good at. That's a culture shift that bring it back to us business owners. That was me for the first two, three years of my company spinning my wheels because I was so busy trying to do everything myself have to, you know, if it's not, uh, if it needs to be done right, I got to do it myself kind of dumb attitude. That's what I was doing. And I was out there trying to run a business, uh, quality control, order parts, train people, do the job, clean up everything, like trying to do everything myself. The first thing to fall off was training the people under me. I thought they could just follow me and just watch what I do and they'll eventually be good enough to take over. That doesn't work. It doesn't. It, and if it does work, it takes a hell of a lot longer than it should. In order to grow, delegate. Get rid of a lot of the stuff that you don't need to be doing as a business owner, as a lead technician. Take that off your plate so you can focus on what you need to do first. But one of the biggest things to do is you'll never move up. You'll never grow unless you have people behind you that can take your place. There is a shortcut. We talked about that shortcut a couple weeks ago. And that is hiring experienced people that can just jump in and take your place for you. Highly, highly recommend not to do that. Did it, tried it. Just had an interview a few weeks ago, like I talked about. Guy comes in and he's he's not our type of culture. He doesn't work the way that I want to uh, my employees to work. He doesn't lead the way that I want my employees to lead. Uh, then you get into, let's say you find the perfect person that has your culture and your attitude. Now you've got to retrain anyway. You got to break habits. And the longer somebody's been experienced, and I say that with air quotes. The longer they've been experienced, the more bad habits you have to break. Who trained them? Where did they learn? Where are they certified? What's their experience? What part of the country did they work in before? You go from New England to the Midwest, you get two completely different jobs. 
you, I went down to Stoner's shop and I saw his place and he had almost no liners in there. I was like, where do you store all your liners? That takes up like three quarters of my shop. He goes, it's not something we do down here. A lot of, we do like maybe, you know, 10, 20%. I'm like, that's 90% of our business, different market. You get two completely different companies. I hired a guy that used to work in Boston. That's not too far from us. That's maybe 45 minutes away. But the age of the homes changes so much in 45 minutes worth of uh, distance that he was so used to dealing with 300-year-old, you know, these old historical buildings where there's no flue tiles. Everything's all jagged and crooked, and it's 60, 70 feet long, so you got to do all this extra work. And he came up here and starts putting liners in, and he's blowing holes in people's basements in a one-story, 20-foot liner uh, installation, blowing holes in the wall. And I'm like, what are you doing? Well, that's how I did it at my last job. Well, you're not at your last job, and you're not in a, a ancient town either with all these old buildings you're in a place where this home was built 20 years ago and it has flue tiles in it and it's just a straight shot and it's only 20 feet well that's the way i've always done it so don't do it <laughs> that's, don't do it because we don't do that here but i left it at that because i was too busy running around taking care of like 100 different things at once that my son was working for us as a tech as an assistant technician and one day my son went out with uh, i think it was max actually and they went out to do a liner job and Max told my son, go down in the basement and go uh, take the thimble out so we can drop this liner. And Darren's down there for like half an hour or something. So Max is like, what's going on? He goes downstairs to see what's taking him so long to pull this piece of pipe out of the wall. And Darren's got a three by three hole blown in the wall. He goes, what are you doing? He goes, that's what I was shown. And we knew who showed him. It was Mr. I worked in Boston, right? And he go, and Max is losing his mind because we didn't bring extra bricks and we didn't have this kind of time budgeted to fix this hole. But he was my son. This is my son, right? This is how scary it gets. This kid should know everything about chimney sweeping and repair, right? Because he's my son. But I wasn't training him. He was trained by somebody that was trained by somebody else. It wasn't even trained by me. I just allowed him into my company with his experiences to train my technicians, one of which is my son. And what we got was him blowing a hole in a wall for a single story liner. I'm like, oh God, like that's what happens. So hiring experience sounds really good. It sounds like a great shortcut to growth. It sounds like a great shortcut to profit. I promise you without the right culture, I, I had decent culture. It wasn't anywhere what it is now, but without the right culture, without the right training, without the right systems, without the right leadership, that just doesn't work. It's a shortcut that will end in pain. It's we did find one. We have a guy working for us right now, and we had already said we are not hiring any more experienced people. We went through three terrible, miserable failures, all three of them, for all different reasons. But we hired all three of them going, oh, God, you're certified? You have X amount of years in the industry? Oh, you you know this job? Great. Here, jump in a van, go train our people, and do the work for us. Because that was my mindset. Let's let's shortcut this and and get there quicker. All three of them. Dismal failures, fired, awful, having to retrain our own people now, rebuild more uh, morale, all of it. So finally, Max, who's in charge of hiring, said, we're not hiring any, any more experienced people. I said, fine, whatever. <laughs> I'm done with it too. We had somebody apply last year, experienced at another company. And we had to sit down. We're like, instantly said no. We're like, no, we're not going to do it. And then I started thinking about it, started looking into the guy more and I'm like, uh, you know what? I think we can make this work. What if instead of hiring experience and putting them in experienced positions and letting their old habits 
just run. What if we put them at the bottom, have them work their way up? And Max is like, they'll never do it. And I said, that's right. But what if they do? What if we find somebody with the right attitude, the right mindset, the right uh, character that is willing to start at the bottom, work their way up, relearn everything that we do it the way we do it and grow into our company with experience? What would happen? What would that look like? He's like, I don't know. Let's try it. So we did. We interviewed the guy. He came in and Max said that he goes, you know, we don't hire for experience. And if you come in with your experience, you're not going to be put in a leadership position anytime soon. You have to start from the ground up and work your way up from the bottom. Can you do that? And he said, yes. And we hired him. And he is one of the hardest workers we have in our company. He's humble enough to take his experience and help other people get better at the job without demeaning them, without coming down on them or, or talking over them. But he's smart enough to get the job done and help everybody else do it. He's like he, at least 10 years older than most of the leads we have now. Like I said, we're very young. So he's working for you know kids 10 years his junior and taking direction from them, listening to them, letting them make their own mistakes and then helping them. No, you shouldn't do that. Now he's being requested. The leads are coming in. Hey, I got this job coming up. Can I have him? Absolutely. Because he's one of our floaters now. He's extra. He's out in the field or he's not assigned to any specific lead, but he's floating around. So now he's getting requested from the leads. <laughs> we need him on our jobs. So it can work if you do it the right way. If you're just hiring for experience, that's all you're going to get is experience. And you have no control over what that experience is, good, bad, and different. If you just take those people and instantly put them into leadership positions in your company without you creating that culture, you're going to get their culture, not yours. And if that doesn't matter to you, by all means, give it a shot. But the way that I've grown my company is by uh, design, by working it from the ground up and promoting from within and pouring into people and making them better versions of themselves. And now we have a good company. So I think it works. So that's, you get a lot of these, uh, you know, these darn kids, nobody wants to work. This generation sucks. Nobody wants to hire. I don't get any, you get all these like negative things that people say a lot. I used to say them too. I got caught up in that. All I hear when I hear that is that Either one, your company isn't something that was attractive enough to keep them. Two, you're a terrible leader and you didn't cultivate anything out of them other than just show up and do what I say. That's what I'm here. And that's coming from me once again. I know I'm getting kind of preachy and I sound like I'm not. I promise you I'm talking to myself with this. That was me for a long time. Hiring people in my basement, in my house, working out of my garage and I was having these people come in, no background checks, no drug tests, just show up because you said you want to, and then just start following me and doing what I do without any training, just get in the van and, and learn by osmosis. And then I couldn't understand why they didn't stay either. It was a riddle. Now it makes complete sense looking backwards. And I can't imagine what I'll be seeing in another 10 years looking back going, you know, what an idiot you were saying that, but whatever, that's where I am now. But I was that leader too. I didn't lead anybody. I just had them show up and start working around me, being their own, or acting the only way they wanted or the only way they knew how. And I just let it happen because I had to. I didn't lead anyone. But if you have that issue where no one wants to stay, no one wants to work, you're just not leading them enough. I mentioned this a bunch of podcasts go about the title. If you're just calling the people that you're you're hiring helpers and you're treating them that way, and that's all you want. You want to work by yourself and just hire somebody just to foot your ladder and mix your mud and carry your tools. Don't turn around and ask why no one's staying or why no one wants to work. 
If someone applies for a job on Indeed or I don't even know if they use the paper anymore, whatever, they apply for a job and they come in and you're like me sitting in your basement going, hi, you want to come foot my ladder for me for 10 bucks an hour? And then they turn around and leave. Don't ask why. Or nobody showed up. I, that was something that happened to me a lot. And this is interesting. This might be an overgeneralization, but go with me on this. When I worked out of my house, I had a ton of no-shows when I'd set up interviews. A ton. Like, I was, you can go back and find these posts on Facebook. I'm like, oh my God, I'd like six people not show up today. Once I got a building, once I had a name, once I had, you know, a professional image, all of a sudden people started showing up for the interviews that actually wanted to work for me. And I like to attribute it to slideshows or Indeed or something of that nature. But I think there's something to be said there. So kind of a tangent on this. Google doesn't update their pictures for like five, 10 years, whenever the little car manages to get back around to your street. And I did a lot of work at my old house, put a lot of money into it, built the garage, took all the trees down, make it, you know, dressed it up, made it look a lot better. But the picture on Google never changed. It was still this overgrown, rundown yard, and it kind of looked kind of dreary if you looked it up on Google. But that's where I was running my business out of. That was my business address on all paperwork, all advertising, websites. My business address was my home. And when I would put an ad out, I would give them this address to come to for an interview. I wonder how many people looked me up on Google, saw this overgrown mess of a yard and house and went, yeah, no, thanks. <laughs> but I never, I never thought of that. I'm just like, but this is a business and my yard is better and my company's growing and come work for me. And why won't you show up for an interview? Because they probably Googled your address and was like, nope, thanks, next. So that might be a thing, might not. If you're running your business out of your home, it's probably going to be harder to find people that want to come work for you. Now, I did find people that worked for me, but it was people that needed the job that bad that showed up. And I told you some of those stories already. I did have a couple of people come in that interviewed that kind of had their shit together. And, and I was like, I really need you here. And they would come back and say, yeah, but you interviewed me in your basement. So I don't really want to work for you. Fair enough, right? I need to take a hard look at myself and say, if I'm not a real company from the outside looking in, if I don't look like a real professional company, who the hell is going to come work in my basement for me? And why would they? And if they do, hmm, do I want to hire them? <laughs> That's kind of the, the mindset, right? So the bigger my company's gotten now, I got a storefront and I got signage and I got my face all over commercials. And I'm kind of this, I've worked very hard with guerrilla marketing to blanket this area so that when people think chimneys, they think Caesar. Great. But it's also helped me with my hiring because now I'm an attractive company to people that want to be hired. Okay. So take that into account as you're advertising that your company, your pay, your attitude, your structure, your culture, you're being interviewed as well by the people sitting on the other side. If they're sitting across the table from you looking at you and how you dress for the interview and how you talk to them and how you treat the people that came in while the interview was happening and how your shop looks and how your vehicles look and all, they're judging you. Remember that. We get so caught up and, oh, pff, they you know came in and then never showed up for the first day or they came in and left after a day or they worked for a week and then no call, no showed and they disappeared. All I'm hearing is me. And I was a terrible business owner, terrible leader that was not an attractive prospect to a hire at that time. So take that into account. But know that when you're promoting these people into any position, could just be lead technician, Train them on exactly how to lead. If you don't know how to lead, if you're in the same position that I was in, watch John Maxwell, watch Simon Sinek, 
Google leadership, YouTube leadership, anything. Read. There's so many books out there on leadership. You can ask myself, Mark Stoner, Chuck Roydhouse, Jasper Drangler. We have tons of these books that we've read that have completely changed our lives because we're reading and we're going, oh my God, I do that. <laughs> and there's one book that I read called The First Time Manager. I don't really like to plug a lot because I read a lot and I might not read the same way you do. The First Time Manager, highly recommend that book. I have two two copies in my office. Now I give them out to my managers when I promote them because I started reading it because I was I read it about my managers, right? Because it's in the name. So I bought it to read about somebody else. And as I'm reading it, I went, oh my God, that's me. Oh my God, that's me. Oh my God, that's me. And they'll say things like, oh, and this happens a lot to really poor managers. And I'm like, oh my God, that's happened to me like 20 times. That's the first book you should get. If you're in business, you run a business, or if you've been promoted into any kind of leader position, whether it's vehicle lead, van lead, service tech lead, I don't care if your entire job is just Mason, you're a lead Mason, learn how to lead. It will change everything. And the first place you start with with people that know what they're talking about, John Maxwell, uh, Simon Sinek, I don't know who wrote the first time manager, but I'll find out later. But it's amazing when you start reading how bad you've been and didn't even realize it. That was me. Side note, full disclosure, still am. (laughs) Still am a terrible leader. Leadership doesn't have, there's no such thing as attaining leadership. Oh, bing, I read five books and I have 10,000 hours and now I'm a great leader. Ta-da, get a badge. No, that's not how it works, right? It's like those people that think they took a test that, you know, they studied a week for and got a badge and now they're certified. That was me as well sitting in a hotel lobby, getting a 72 on the test and thinking that I was certified. That's not what it is. Leadership is daily growing, daily learning, daily relearning. Like, oh crap, I didn't know what I didn't know. And then I read this and now there's three other things I need to fix because I didn't realize how bad it was at all of that. That's the first thing. If you're in in business, in leadership, in any way, hone that craft as if you were learning how to build a chimney, learning how to stone veneer, learning how to drop a liner, put the same amount of effort into you as you do into the work that you're doing. I promise you it'll make a difference. And then once you have started that journey, because there is no finish line for that, once you have started the journey of learning how to lead, turn around, help everybody behind you be the best leader they can be. Train that. Okay. There are so many different courses and classes and videos and books and manuals and certifications to teach you how to sweep a chimney and teach you how to rebuild and teach you how to stone veneer and teach you how to install a wood stove. That's great. And and I see this all over online. Everybody's like, how do you do this? And how do I get better at that? And how do I get better at this? Be a better leader. Be a better leader first. And once you learn how to lead, you'll learn how to lead your own life. You'll learn how to lead your own family. You'll learn how to lead your business better. And then once you learn how to lead, then you can train everybody else in your company on these other things, the things that uh, actually matter, like liners and boilers and, and fireplaces and repointing and all that stuff. But until you know how to lead and how to train and how to talk to people and how to manage people and how to care for the people in your charge instead of being in charge, your company will grow. Man, I knew I was going to go over on this one, but I did. We're at, what, like 40-something minutes right now? As you can tell, I'm passionate about this, too. This really is the crux of why Caesar Chimney is the way that it is, is because years ago, I realized I need to be a better leader. I can't lead these people. I definitely can't lead more people if I'm not leading them well. And they, in turn, are now leading them underneath them, and they're just following my lead, and I'm a terrible leader. That is a recipe for disaster. 
So I changed it up. Now leadership takes the front and center for everything we do in our company and it trickles down and it shows like back in last week, the guy coming in, Hey, how do I get a company where if you walked in, you can't tell who the leaders are? Well, that's because we have made it front and center teamwork, leadership right out the gate liners caps. I tell my guys all the time. I don't give a shit how many liners you put in. I don't care how many caps you put on. That doesn't matter to me. Like I said before, if you're not good at your job, you're not going to have one. So the fact you have a job means you're good at it. Great. So all of those numbers to me, I'm the best salesperson. I'm the best. None of that matters. If you can't lead and you can't be led and you can't get along, you won't work at my company. And magically, when I focused on those criterias, my company grew. So that's enough rambling for this week. Until next week. Thank you for lending me.